Good morning. If you have a Bible, let's open together to the Old Testament book of Exodus. How many of you have been reading the book of Exodus? Anybody? Excellent. Well, last week was a disaster. And I'm not just talking about my sermon. I'm talking about the events of the sermon where Aaron built a golden calf. Remember that? And uh, the, the construction of a calf, which was for the Israelites a complete diversion away from the first commandments. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make a graven image was just an immediate fall away from God's plan for His people. And it it was comprehensive. As a result of that, um, 3,000 were killed in judgment. 20,000 probably died as a result of a plague. That's represented in the final verses of chapter 32 of Exodus. And then you come to chapter 33. And in chapter 33, the Lord is now going to talk to Moses and, and make some important changes to his relationship with Israel, or at least set out that way. Moses intervenes, and God changes direction. Today is a a lesson about a sequence in our life that probably every one of us here could admit to, that we walk with God, we lose our way, we get distracted somewhere, God brings circumstances to bear that have unhappy consequences that may lead us to the place where we would say, I need to get back and bow my heart to God again. And we do that, we call that repentance, and then we begin to walk with God. Everybody put your hand up like this. Okay? We're going to make a circle. I walk with God. Say that. I lose my way. I suffer a little. I humble myself before God in repentance. I walk with God. Repeat. <laughs> okay. That, this is sort of the cycle of, of, of what we frequently see in the Bible and our own lives. After the first service, two people came up to me, and, and both of them, two men, expressed in, in tearful sorrow something of the, the struggles that they've been in. And I thought, just, just how moving it was that we all could read the episode in the Old Testament narrative and say, I, I see a little bit of myself there. I see what God is doing. My prayer is that as we look at the book of Exodus, we'll see a little bit of what God was doing in Israel and how God intervened through Moses' response, and Moses' response will be a guide for us on how we could respond a little bit 
ourselves. And, as always, we look at the Old Testament narrative of Exodus knowing that there is something more that is revealed in the New Testament and how the episode of the Exodus actually finds a greater fulfillment in the life of Jesus, who is the greatest representation. All right? So let's begin reading Exodus chapter 33. The Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt. Wait, who brought the people up out of the land of Egypt? God says to Moses, you brought them up. And Moses said, no, 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 no. You brought them up. But right now, God is telling Moses, I'm not too happy with this people who just turned aside to worship a golden calf. But I brought them up out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring I will give it. Verse 2, God said to Moses, I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites, all of the people groups who have a history in the book of Genesis of turning away from God, moving east of Eden, and they are the um, the leaders of those people groups in the book of Genesis who turned away from God, Canaanites, Jebusites, and they're all in the land that God's going to send his people to. And he says, I'm going to send an angel before you and I'm going to drive them out. I'm going to do that for you. But then verse 3, the Lord says this, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. Everybody paying attention? But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. That's God talking to his people, people of Israel. Pretty frank. That's God's assessment. You're a stiff-necked people. What does it mean to be stiff-necked? You're stubborn. You're you're hard-hearted. Your neck is like, I will not give in to you. And God said, that's what you're like. And you're going to go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I'm not going to go with you. Think about this. God says to his people, you're gonna, I'm going to give you what you want, but I won't be with you. If you, if you received your dreams, but you didn't have God who makes those dreams possible, would you be happy? I mean, the question is, God's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm going to send you up there, and the, there'll be some difference in my presence with you. You're going to go to the promised land, and it's going to be flowing with milk and honey, but I'm not going to be there. What we're going to see in a few verses that Moses, wait, 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 wait. If you don't go with us, don't let us take another step. Because if I go somewhere and I have as much of my dream promised land as as I could imagine, but I don't have God with me, I don't want that. What would it profit a man if he gained the 
whole world and lost his soul. It's a similar kind of thought. If I, if I had all the trappings of a successful life, but I didn't have God himself in my life, would I be in good position? Answer, no. It begins with God. And God is working with Moses to uh, underscore that the relational component that God is after with Israel is he wants to be their God. He wants them to be his people. It's not some rote compliance to a list of external do's and don'ts that God's after. He wants the heart of his people to love him. He wants to love them. He's a loving and merciful God, and they have just proven to him that they would rather have their own gods than God. And he says to them, you're stiff-necked people, and I'm not going to go with you. And they say, in verse 4, when they heard this disastrous word, what word? I'm not going with you. When they heard this disastrous word, um, they mourned, and no one put on ornaments, for the Lord said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you're a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up with among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. If I go with you, I will consume you. Again, you're stubborn. Anybody stubborn in here? Anybody have a stubborn streak? It's like we all, it's all, uh, we have this, this way, and Israel embodies it, and they're stubborn against the Lord. I'm, I'm not going to go with you. So I want you to take off your ornaments. What's that about? It is telling Israel that you should do on the outside in your appearance what should be true on the inside. So you're going to take off all of your beauteous, self-manufactured, I'm going to make myself look good because what's going on on the inside is you really are not good. You, you've just been uh, rebelling against the Lord and you're stiff-necked and stubborn against God, so don't dress it up nicely on the outside. Can you imagine people being really far estranged from God and getting dressed up and going to church and looking great on the outside? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can. It's like, okay, this is, that's, that's not right. It's not compatible. If your heart is broken before God, then take your jewelry off. And what should be on the outside should should uh, mirror what is on the inside. So take off your dressing and the inside be broken. You, you, you sinned against the Lord, now inside you, you should repent. You should be broken before the Lord and don't be dressed up as trying to look beautiful when really you're a proud, rebellious, stiff-necked people. What's he saying? The way to approach God and restore um, a rebellious heart is to be broken before the Lord. And, and it's, you have heard people when they were sorrowing over their sin or the loss of a loved one, they would put on sackcloth and ashes. They would make the outside look like what they felt like on the inside. They were just so broken and it's like death. I'm crushed. 
And so they'd cover themselves with ashes. Why? It's like, I've died. I'm dead. The positive way that Psalm 51 puts it, reflecting the statement of David after he had sinned and been confronted and he returns in confession and repentance to God in Psalm 51, 17 says that the sacrifices of God, everybody, are a, a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you won't despise. That what God's interested in, what's going on on the inside of you when it comes to your worship expression. Is your heart right with God? Are you, do you understand what it is to be broken about your sin? And God is working with Israel in this episode after the golden calf to bring them to a point of genuine internal contrition and repentance and following and another turn around the, the circle. And that's where we find them here. So take off your ornaments and, and be genuinely repentant and broken before me. Verse 7 Verse 7 has a, a, a little paragraph in which we read on about Moses going out to his tent to meet with God, and that is outside the camp where everybody else dwelled, but everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was Moses' tent. And um, whenever Moses went out to that tent, all the people would rise up and they would each stand at their own tent door, and they would watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses went into the tent, a pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak to Moses. And all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, and they would rise up, and they would worship at their tent. So you have Moses being the spiritual leader for the house of Israel and now he, he would go to his tent. People would be watching, where's Moses going? He's going to his tent. And the, the presence of God would come down on Moses' tent, and Moses would speak with God. And when Moses worshipped, everyone else in Israel, many of them, most of them, would also say, I'm going to take my cues from that spiritual leader, and I'm going to worship too. And that's what happens. Now, spiritual leaders fail to deliver on being people who lead others to worship, and boy, haven't we had enough of people falling off the leadership trail. Moses is demonstrating for Israel, meeting with God, listening to God's voice, and when he goes into his tent, many others in Israel stood at their tent and said, if Moses worshiped now, I'm going to worship God, and they worshiped. He's a leader of the people to lead them to worship. In verse 12, Moses says to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet I have said, yet you have said, this is Moses to the Lord, I know you by name, and you found favor in my sight. Now, hey, listen, if I have found favor in your sight, please, are you with me? Show me your ways now that I may know you. I need to know your ways. And if I know the ways of God, then I'll know which way to walk. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. This is Moses saying. 
And then verse 14, and he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Oh, I thought he said he wasn't going to go with you. He did. And then Moses prayed, and then God says, all right, I will go with you. His presence was still with the people of Israel, but morphed a little bit, a little bit different. But in verse um, 14, God says, I will go with you, and I'll give you rest. And then verse 15, Moses picks it up and says, I just want to say this one more time. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring me up from here. If you don't lead me, God, and you're not going to be present with me as we leave this place where we failed at the golden calf and we make our way into the promised land, if you're not with us, then don't lead me up from here. Um, verse 16, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not, is it not in your going with us that we are a distinct people, I and your people. We're distinct from every other people on the face of the earth. If you don't go with us, what? If you're not in our life, we're not a distinct people. We're just like everybody else. So you have to be with us, God. We, if you're going to lead us to the promised land, we can't go to the promised land without you because that's what makes us distinct from every other people. You live in us. We are your people. We are your possession, which we saw last week. And if you don't go, the, the witness of us being your people to all the other nations who need to know you will not be made. So please don't leave us. So God stayed with them. And God made his presence known to them as they traveled uh, from there onward all the way to the promised land. There was some kind of change in the way God manifested himself. And he did it in order to not destroy them. And God was upset with them in a, in a fierce kind of a way. But Moses stands in the gap and he starts praying for the people of Israel. And God then again begins to make himself known there. Verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you've spoken I'll do. For you have found favor in my sight. And I know you by name. I'm, I'm going to go with you. Verse 18, so Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I am gracious, I'll show mercy to whom I show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. So you see this exchange couple things I want you to take away from this exchange. Moses is, is mediating between God and Israel, and he's praying on behalf of Israel. Please be merciful. They are a stiff-necked people. Forgive them. Please don't not go with us. Go with us. Let your goodness be seen here. Show me your ways. Show me your glory. Let me see who you are. And if I see who you are, God, I will know how to live. Can I just suggest to you that one of the best prayers every person in this room can pray? Two of them. Show me your ways, Lord. Show me your glory. Wake up every morning and say, Lord, 
please show me your way today. I want to walk in your way. Show me your glory. If I see the glory of God, if I have the right vision of God, if I have a big view of God, and I know that God alone is all glorious, I'm going to know better how to live today. They were after the calf, the golden calf. And that's not a glorious vision of God, is it? It's a, it's a created, temporal entity. God is the glorious God. If you know a vision of God, you'll know how to live. That's basically what Moses is getting at. It, show me, let me see your glory, and let it pass by. Verse 19, he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I'm going to proclaim my name to you, and I will be gracious to whom I'm gracious. You can't see my face, verse 20, for man shall not see me and live. But I'm going to put you in a place. He's going to hide his soul in the cleft of the rock and cover you there with his hand. Right? It's a great old hymn. I'm going to cover you there with my hand until I've passed by. And then I'll take away my hand and you'll see my back. But my face you will not see. Now this exchange between God and Moses is God saying, you're not able to see me. You want to see my glory? You can't see all of me. I will show you part of me. Moses doesn't explain in the verses that follow of Exodus what he saw, what it was like, but it was some veiled presentation of God that God passed by and Moses was, saw something of the presence of God because you can't see my face. Well, it turns out that there's a little example, a little description of who this God that passed by is in the next chapter, chapter 34. And the Lord descended, verse 5, in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Verse 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord the Lord, a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but whom will by no means clear the guilty. And you have God giving to Moses the description of who just passed by, a gracious God, a merciful God, a God whose loving kindness never ends, a God who will punish the guilty, a God who forgives the iniquity of those who turn to him and forgives transgressions and sins. And so God is showing to Moses, this is who I am, and I'm passing by you so that you can see me, but you can't see all of me, but you can see enough of me to know that I'm gracious, loving, merciful, severe, I'm a forgiving God, and, and I'm a fierce God who will not let the guilty go unpunished. But for those who turn and repent, I'm merciful, and I'm gracious, and my love abides forever. It's an amazing picture, and it's what allowed Israel to make it mostly intact to the promised land. That's what kind of God he was. And you see the severity of God and the mercy of God through the episodes of the wanderings and the ultimate landing into the promised land. Now I want to take a stop for a moment 
and, and reinforce two things. Repentance is the softening of the heart that says to God, I am broken for my sin and I turn to you. I turn back to you. Do you think repentance should occur when you become a Christian? How about when you have been a Christian for a week and a month and a year? Is the turning to God a a part of the life of a Christian? Yeah, it, it is the disposition that says my heart is turned toward you and I see who you are and I know who you are and then I lose my way and then I forget who God is and then I experience dissonance in my life and God moves into my life and then I repent and then I move toward God. It's, it's this cycle that we see in the Old Testament with Israel and Moses is in the place where he keeps going before the people, praying on their behalf, meeting with God, saying, I want to see your face and God shows his face and then says, I can't show you everything. Can I show you something in the New Testament as you look forward that far exceeds what Moses saw on the mountain? I want you to turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. I asked the question earlier, if you could have all the, the blessings of God but not have Him, would you have what you want? If God gave you the promised land flowing with milk and honey but didn't give you Him, would you be satisfied? I'd say no. What we really need more than anything else is we need God. And we find out that everything that Israel experienced with Moses and then through the prophets comes to fulfillment in none other than actually coming to see God himself when Jesus Christ comes into the world. So in John chapter 1, verse 14, we read these words. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's like pitched a tent he, he made an abode with us. The Word is Jesus um, became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Show me your glory. We've seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of the grace and the truth of God. We've seen Jesus, John says. And you think, can you hear any of Exodus in there? In the next two verses, you can hear even more of Exodus, and John knows what he's doing. He's making a hyperlink to the Exodus narrative. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us. We've seen His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16. And from His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, He has made Him known. You see what John is doing here in John chapter 1? He's taking the Exodus narrative and the Moses exchange with God on the mountain. You can't see my face. No one can see my face or you'll perish. And John is saying... The fullness of the glory and the grace of God has been seen in Jesus. 
and no one has ever seen God, but the one who is in the bosom of the Father, who's, who's at the Father's right hand, the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, he has made God known to us. Everybody who gets that says. Yeah, if you know Christ, you know the Father. If you know Jesus, humble, broken um, life of going to the cross and taking your sins, you know the glory of God. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Remember John chapter 14, uh, Philip said, Lord, if you just show us the Father, it'll be good. Hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So what, what's happening in the Old Testament narrative comes to a beautiful fulfillment here in the gospel account in the fullness of Christ coming. Paul takes it up in another way in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, where he says, Therefore God said, let light shine out of darkness, and God has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, where? In the face of Christ. If you know Christ, you, you know God. If you know Jesus, you can see the glory of God. And the turning to God through Christ in faith is, is getting the fullest expression of what it means to know God. I think there's, there's two or three things we should take away today. That a heart of repentance, which was true for a stiff-necked people of God, is probably still good for us today, who tend to be hard-hearted sometimes. And repentance is the pathway to turn back to Him. The two prayers that I would encourage you to pray is, Lord, show me your ways, show me your glory. And when you see those things, it helps you to, to see God and then to live. And the other thing, whenever Moses would stand at his tent and meet with God face to face, um, as if I'm talking to a man, God would speak to Moses. You have that opportunity to do that with Jesus today and to speak to him. And it turns out that the full expression of communing with God even though God said to Israel, I'm not going to go with you, I'm not going to go with you, God goes with us today. And today, through Jesus, when you turn to Jesus, God comes to dwell in your hearts by faith and to live in you permanently. Do you know that? And you don't have to say, God, are, are you going to leave me? You know that what Jesus said is true. I will never leave you or forsake you, right? And here's how we know it. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, we read these words. Paul said, do you not know that you are God's tent? Moses used to go to the tent to meet with God. And Paul says, don't you know that you are God's temple? You're the place where God dwells. And that God's spirit dwells inside of you. Through Christ, by faith, God dwells in you. And you can say, God, show me your glory. Show me your ways. And it's the presence of the Holy Spirit in you that will help you do that. Make you see the very truth and grace of God in Christ. And then there's a really strong application. If your body, if you are the temple of God, what does that mean for your life? 
1 Corinthians 6.19 puts it this way. Do you not know that your, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Everybody, therefore, yeah, what you do in your body, how should we then live? What do you do with your body? You glorify God in your body because God dwells in you. So the Old Testament Exodus story, God, please don't leave us. Show me your glory. You're a stiff-necked people. I'm not going with you. God, please go with us. I will go with you. And they traveled to the promised land. But the fulfillment moves from an external tabernacle and an external moral code of ten stone commandments to an internalized law that God writes in the hearts of those who know Christ, to an indwelling Holy Spirit in the hearts of those who follow Jesus, to a group of people who say, Lord, let your glory be seen in us as we follow you to the promised land. You know, from here to there. That's where we're going. And now he's dwelling in us. And all the Old Testament Exodus narrative is to point us forward that God wants to dwell in you and lead you and let his glory and grace be seen in all of us. Maybe because of the circle that we sometimes stumble around, we should take a minute this morning and just pray that God would get us back on track. Let's pray together. And I don't know where you are, but you do. I think every one of us in the room would say, I stumble a lot and I'm stubborn too much of the time. So today, Lord, looking at the example of the Exodus, I see a people who failed and a God who was ultimately gracious, severe, but who was merciful and gracious and steadfast in love. And we, we want to say, Lord, show us your way. Show us your glory. Let us see your ways that you're merciful to us again. And we want to turn to you in brokenness, in humility, and just say, Lord, we've all stumbled in many ways, and I ask you to pardon my failures my sins, my turning away to the idols that are not God's. You are the one true God. Show me your glory. Lead me on how I should live today. And forgive me. And let your Holy Spirit fill my heart. Lord, we just want to say guide our life on the journey we are. We come back to you today and Renew our, our love and commitment and say, we know who you are. Merciful God, strengthen our hearts to love you and trust you. And then as the people repented and bowed down, they worshiped. That's what we want to do today, Lord. We want to worship you to say, 
of all the things in our life, you are worth the most. You are worth everything. So we worship. We turn to you in Jesus' name. Amen.